Praise the Lord, everybody. For this class, uh, we're going to be talking about, again, the end times. And uh, we're using a book that Derek Prince had put together kind of as our uh, jumping off place for the classes. It's called The Prophetic Guide to the End Times. And one thing I appreciate about Brother Prince, um, who has now gone on to be with the Lord, of course, and many of you have studied under Derek Prince for many, many, many years, one thing I appreciate is that he deals with issues other than just, you know, trying to speculate about who the Antichrist is going to be or, or speculate what the ten horns mean and all of this. And that's interesting, and we, we do teach on that a lot. But at the same time, the, the thing that often gets overlooked, I feel, uh, especially in Bible classes on end times, which is what this is, the thing that gets overlooked oftentimes is the mentalities and the, the end time pressures that can shape our lives. That needs to be looked at. That needs to be dealt with. That needs to be attended to. And I think uh, Brother Prince is one of the few that does a very thorough job of that. Now today if you want to turn in, in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 60, and we're going to spend just a few minutes examining a picture, uh, uh, getting an overall impression of the backdrop of the close of this age, this age of grace that we're living in. Um, Isaiah chapter 60 predicts the end time restoration of God's people Israel. And it's, it's very beautifully written. Let's read the first five verses together. Arise. Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles, or the nations of the world, shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They gather all together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant. And your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. And so we see from reading this passage, there are four main features here that the Lord's uh, showing us. The first is that both light and darkness in the last of the last days, which I believe we are living in, in the world right now, both light and darkness will intensify at the same time. The light will get brighter, the darkness will get deeper. That's what the Bible says. Darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. We see that happening every day. There's, a, there's an ever greater spiritual darkness that's descending and coming over on peoples of the earth. But in the midst of this darkness, glory to God, the Lord will arise over His people. Not just Israel, but the church also. And His glory will be seen upon you. The message 
Ladies and gentlemen, to us as God's people today, the message is this. Respond to what God is doing. Okay? Now this is the reason that I take a very dim view of attacking the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, you've got to be careful when you go to slander in the body of Christ. I don't like it when people slander my bride. You know, if, if somebody has a problem with Angie, I would prefer they just, especially if it's not hardly serious at all, you know, just keep it to yourself. But don't go slandering my bride. And if it's a severe enough thing uh, to warrant a, a conversation, then have a conversation and intelligently discuss any problems that might arise between you and my bride. And I think that God feels the same way about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in these last days. I think God's heart is broken over the ministries, over the preachers, over the Christians who are slandering the body of Christ in the earth today and finding fault with everything it does. Now, we all know that in, in the body of Christ today, there is some false doctrine. And sometimes false doctrine needs to be addressed, especially if it is uh, directed toward the essentials of our faith. We need to contend earnestly for the faith once delivered unto the saints. No question about it. But there's a, you have to be very careful that you don't slander the bride of Jesus. Because I think he takes a very dim view of that also. And you know, having me take a dim view of something is one thing. But you get crosswise with Jesus, and y'all gonna have a problem. So we don't want to be slandering the church. We want to respond to what God is doing. Yes, we resist the darkness. Yes, we shine our lights. Yes, we deal with areas of teaching that we don't, you know, we don't see it as biblical. We see it as, I'll give you an example, the greed gospel, <clears throat> the, the health and wealth uh, craze needs to be addressed, but it needs to be addressed by rational, controlled individuals who are not addressing it in anger, who are not, you know, reacting to some false teaching with a hateful spirit and a hateful attitude, but rather they're responding from what thus saith the Lord, and they're doing it in such a way as to win the other party over to the viewpoint. And if you can't win somebody over to your viewpoint, the best thing might be for you to leave the conversation and, and not leave the people, talk about something else, Maintain unity where at all possible as long as the, the doctrine in question does not attack the atonement or change the image of Jesus from the Bible Jesus to a Jesus of some, mind, some, some person's own mind creation of who they think Jesus is. You know, you and I can walk together. You, you and I can learn as Christians to walk together and that's a very important thing in the last days. The unity of the church is at an all-time low, and it's one of the things that Jesus cares the most about in the days that we're living in. Okay? Darkness is covering the earth. <clears throat> Deep darkness is covering the people. 
But at the same time, in the midst of that darkness, the Lord is rising over His people. The glory of the Lord is being seen, being evidenced, being manifested among His people, praise God. And you and I, the lesson that God wants us to learn is to respond to what God is doing. Arise and shine, it says. Let's read that whole two sentences. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. So it's not, you know, that you and I, and especially as leaders in the local church or leaders in the body of Christ at any level, we don't roll back over and go back to sleep. We see, we see the light of Jesus. We see the glory of the Lord being revealed in the earth today, just like it was in times past. I'm a, I'm a person that I really love to read the Puritans. I like reading uh, Thomas Watson is my favorite. I like Thomas Brooks and Jeremiah Burroughs. I, I like uh, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, many of the old timers and especially the Puritans. And you definitely come away from reading their literature, reading their sermons or whatever, you come away with a sensing inside of yourself that we're missing it somewhere today in our thinking, we're missing it in our walk with Jesus, you know, we're missing it in our attitudes, we're missing it in our faith today, uh, in, in many, many, many respects, okay? But at the same time, just like God's glory was being manifested in the earth during the days of the Puritans, let's say, at any time frame in history, just as God's glory was being manifested then, it is being manifested on the earth today among God's people. It is. The glory of the Lord is here, folks. Now, sometimes we have to look past our circumstances, and sometimes... We even have to look past our circle of friends to, to spot that glory. We might be in a rut, but everybody's not in a rut. We might be down today, but everybody's not down today. So you follow what I'm saying. The glory of the Lord is here, and we need to respond to what God is doing. Hallelujah. The second feature is the regathering. <clears throat> now, these are, these are four features that we see in the first five verses of Isaiah chapter 60. The second feature is the regathering and the restoration of God's people. Lift up your eyes all around, the scripture says, and see, they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. We're watching this, ladies and gentlemen, literally being fulfilled in Israel. Literally, this is being fulfilled in the nation of Israel, as people from all over the world, glory be to God, are going, you know, Jews from all over the world are going back to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Going back to Israel. And there's just so many miracles there. Sometime we'll, we'll talk about the many things that are happening in the nation of Israel that are signs of Bible prophecies being fulfilled. It's a great thing. Spiritually, <clears throat> this is being fulfilled in the church. Let me, let me clue you in on something that I've heard many great teachers say over the years, and it's never left me. 
and it helps you to understand things, I think, a little bit better maybe. What happens literally, physically to Israel usually happens spiritually to the church and in the church. Usually. We, we, are, the, we are the two groups of covenant people in the earth. Israel has a covenant with God. We have a covenant with God. Now, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there's more than one way to be saved, okay? So before some of you want to run off and lie about me and, and say that I teach two different ways to be saved, one for Israel, one for the church, I do not. Salvation, eternal salvation, is completely through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, period. So let's understand that. But there are two covenants. National Israel has a covenant with God. And the church has a covenant with God. Okay? And so a lot of times events in the spirit will run parallel one with another. The church, Israel, Israel, the church. And that happens often. And I can declare to you as a Christian as you serve Jesus Christ, as you follow the Lord, as you place your faith in His shed blood, I can declare to you that there will be restoration in your life before the Lord returns. I can declare that without hesitation because the Bible teaches it. The Bible declares it. I'm just mimicking what the Word says. There's going to be areas in your life of restoration. There's going to be restoration in your homes. There's going to be restoration in your individual heart and life. There's going to be restoration between you and God in the way that you live for Jesus on a daily basis in the earth. There's going to be restoration between uh, sons and daughters with their parents and husbands and wives and all of these different kinds of things. There's going to be restoration in your finances before Jesus returns. Praise God. And we read about that this morning. Somebody said, well, are, you going to, <laughs> are you going to start preaching that prosperity gospel? Well, no, I, I don't believe it the way that it's being marketed in the mainstream of the church today, but I do believe that God is a blesser. And I do believe that God is going to restore in every area of His people's lives in these last days. Can I get somebody to say amen? Hallelujah. Let's keep moving right along. This is just Bible study, so you can relax. Take a sip of coffee, take a sip of pop or water, whatever you have. The third feature that we see outlined here is that the Gentiles... The Gentiles or the nations of the world will turn to God's people for answers. Again, and this always blesses me, praise God. Um, we have to understand that this is both national Israel and spiritual the church. We're coming into a time frame <clears throat> where the, the political and economic problems are going to become so severe on planet earth. 
I'm not going to stand here and lie to you and preach to you that there's not going to be any problems. It's going to become very severe upon the earth in these last days. And the people are going to start looking to God's people for answers and for solutions to the problems that planet earth is going to experience here just very shortly and even has already started to experience. And this is why the Bible tells us to be ready to give people an answer for the hope that lies within us. And this is why you need to come to Bible class. And this is why you need to learn your faith and, and learn how to, first of all, believe, it, believe God. Believe Him for the things that you need. But also, you need to learn and fine-tune yourself to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in the last days so that that answer doesn't have to be premeditated, but the Lord can just drop the answer in your spirit in a split second of time, and you can bring it up and give it to the people, and there will be an instantaneous release from glory that will, that will liberate people and set them free by the power of God. That doesn't happen by being overcome with the cares of this life. We have got to wean ourselves from the cares of this life. You, don't, you can't let your job consume you for 18 hours a day. You can't, you can't afford that. You say, well, i got to work and I can't afford not to. You can't afford to let the cares of this life choke your spirit. Yes, you have to pay attention on your job, but you need to leave the job at the job. And when you get to family altar, when you get to midweek service, when you get to special event, you need to be hearing from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come on you so strong at times that even when you're on your job, He will overshadow you. And He will impregnate you with His vision, with His words of wisdom that can set people free. The Holy Spirit can do that for you no matter where you are. But we have become so consumed with our lives and we've become so consumed with our technology, and I'm not preaching against technology. I love it. I use it every single day of the world to preach the gospel with. So I'm not against technology, <clears throat> but I'm not going to become enamored with it. When I'm sitting there having a conversation with my wife, I don't need to have my laptop in my lap looking at what people are saying in China. You know, and, and I don't need to be on Facebook when I'm, when I'm trying to minister to somebody, for example. So hear me, I'm not knocking it. But I am saying that if the cares of this life choke you, it will affect your hearing from the Spirit. <clears throat> and people are going to start turning to us for answers, so we need to be able to have answers. And we do that by walking with Jesus. And He communicates those answers to us through the Holy Spirit in a split second of time and we need to be able to bring it up and put it out there because with it will bring a power of deliverance. And that's what we need to be doing. Verse 3 of our text says that nations shall come to your light, kings to the brightness of your rising. So again, we're going to have some government people wanting to know what our secret is to making it through and to keeping our people, uh, you know, you know, moving forward in life with a good attitude and just all kinds of things. This is a promise of the Scripture that God will fulfill. Now that brings me before we get to the fourth feature. Let me talk on something else here just a minute. And we're not going to go into this totally today. 
I've been asked no less than 12 times in the last couple of weeks, really. Um, do you feel that persecution against the church is going to start in America? And my answer is twofold. The Bible says that all who shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And that has been the same for all godly people at all times in human history. It's never changed. And in that sense, yes, <clears throat> I do believe there's going to be persecution against the people who are truly trying to make godly choices and godly decisions and live a godly life. There is certainly going to be persecution. There's also going to be persecution against organized religion that will not deny certain things about Jesus Christ. There's going to come persecution in America. And I believe the Lord has showed us all that. But here's what that doesn't mean. And I want you to pay attention. That doesn't mean that you and I aren't going to be effective as witnesses and that we're not going to be effective as the church in the last days because we are. Because they can kill us and they can imprison us and they can do a lot of things to us. They can torture us. They can do a lot of things, but they cannot take away what is in our spirit if we won't turn loose of it. And that, you know, every day around this planet, people who are, who are talking about their times of torture and persecution in certain nations of the world, the one thing that constantly comes through all of their reports is they ask the Lord Jesus for grace to endure it. And God always answers that prayer. He gives grace in the tough time. He gives grace in the painful place. He gives grace to endure. And so we are going to have to, again, I go back to what I said a few moments ago, we're going to have to stop letting the cares of our life choke out our relationship with Jesus. <clears throat> because we need right now to hear the Holy Spirit as never before. Now let's move right on through some more of this. The fourth feature that we discover here in Isaiah 60, 1 through 5, is that the wealth... Uh, and the resources, I, I would say it that way, probably rather than using the word wealth, I would say the resources of the nations are going to be made available to God's people. Somehow, some way, God's going to do this. The scripture says it, and I'm not going to doubt you know, what God's word is saying. We don't know how this takes place, but we just know that it does. So I want to point out another parallel feature here of the close of the age from our text. And it's this. Let, let's look, uh, you know, the, the verses in Isaiah show a clear separation of the righteous from the unrighteous. Bringing a situation where compromise uh, and neutrality on the issues of righteousness will no longer be possible. Let's look at Revelation 22, verses 10 through 12. I'm going to read it from the NIV. Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. <coughs> That's what the Lord said. My reward is with me, and I will give according 
I will give to everyone according to what he has done. And that middle verse is sandwiched right between two warning verses about the closeness of our Lord's return. In verse 10, Jesus says, the time is near. In verse 12, He says, I'm coming soon. But between those two is a challenge from the Lord to the righteous and to the wicked. It amazes me that the Lord would say, let him who is vile continue to be vile. But that's what He says. The Living Bible actually helps us to understand this more clearly. Here's what it says. And when that time comes, all who are doing wrong will do it more and more. The vile will become more vile. Good men will be better. And those who are holy will continue on in greater holiness. That's verse 11 from the Living Bible. Here's the picture. The pressures are going to get so strong that we're going to be caught up in one of two main streams. We're either going to be caught up, you and I, in the streams of righteousness, hallelujah, or the streams of wickedness. As these streams become more forceful, it will be almost impossible to escape the stream that we are in. I want you to hear that. Right now in your life, <clears throat> the stream that the stream of your life might not be very forceful. And so if you're caught up in a sin right now, you can right now, this moment, you can say, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm going to repent. I'm going to give my heart to, to Jesus 100% and I'm going to follow the Lord. But there might come a time when the, the stream of wickedness will be so forceful, running rampant through the earth, that it just begins to suck people up into it. And they realize at some point that this is happening, but they can't get out of the stream. That's how addiction works. That's how bondage works. And the same thing is in righteousness. It's not, that, it's not that the righteous can't stop being righteous. It's just that the truly righteous will not want to stop being righteous and they will hunger and thirst after righteousness as the Lord Himself said. And when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, God fulfills His Word. He makes sure that we get plenty and then some. Amen. God doesn't starve His kids. Hallelujah. And in this case, I'm not talking about physical food. I'm talking about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. If you're hungry and thirsty for it, God ain't going to starve you. He's going to give you righteousness. He's going to give you more and more and more. Hence, the forcefulness of the stream of righteousness. So, we need to make some decisions today before things get so forceful. We need to make some choices today in the body of Christ <clears throat> that we're going to stop being neutral and we're going to stop being compromising and we're going to run this race all out 100% for Jesus. Amen? <clears throat> if we're in the stream of righteousness, we'll be carried on almost irresistibly by the power of that stream. 
If, if, if we're in the stream of wickedness and rebellion, we will be carried out in the power of that stream. Each will intensify in the last days. Each will intensify. The righteous will become more righteous. The wicked will become more wicked. Two harvest right now. There are two harvests in the earth that are maturing at the same time. The harvest of righteousness and the harvest of wickedness. And Jesus tells us that the harvest is the end of the age. And you can look at Matthew 13, uh, verses 37, 38, and 39 to, to read about that. So... Both good and evil are intensifying in these days. The gap between them is becoming wider and ultimately it will be unbridgeable. <coughs> Excuse me. Ultimately that gap between good and evil will be unbridgeable. You know, you're not going to be able to run in and out so to speak you know jump into the flow of the Holy Ghost when you feel like it jump back out when you want to get carnal for a while you're not going to be able to live that way especially the further we go along in the end of days and the further in the last of the last days that we get see we got to make some choices as God's people we have to make some decisions for Christ today our response. As these pressures and conditions in the world around us and the crises that will come, as they continue to confront us, there's three appropriate ways for you and I as Christians to respond. First of all, the first one that I want you to mark down is optimism. Optimism. I believe that we are obligated to be optimists in the face of everything we see. I mean, we're faith people, right? It, it, it bugs you, you know, when you get around somebody and they see a tornado in every cloud. And they're always down. Now, if y'all need deliverance from a spirit of depression, that's one thing. Let's get on up to the altar and get under the blood and get that deliverance. And it is possible. But in the face of everything we see in the world that's happening today, I believe we as Christians are obligated to be optimists. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus sketches out a picture of events, a picture of trends that lead to the close of this age. He mentions a lot about what we've been talking about. And then... At the very end of his discourse, he says, Now when these things begin to happen, he says, Look up. He says, Lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Luke 21, 28. So we're to look up. Stock market's wavering. Gas prices and food prices are rising. Neighbors are hating one another. People are stealing from one another. People in families are estranging themselves from one another. And the Bible says for you and I, when we see these things to begin to happen, we are to look up. We're to cheer up. We're to rejoice. We're to believe God. We're to be optimists in the face of everything we see because God is victorious. And because He is victorious, you and I 
If we're in Him, if we're in Christ, we are victorious as well. And that's the kind of atmosphere we need to set wherever we go. Not just in the church on Sunday, but wherever we go. Praise the Lord. Jesus doesn't tell us, be frightened. Jesus doesn't tell us, look for a hiding place. He doesn't say plan some method of escape where you can concentrate on survival. His attitude is look up. <clears throat> Things are going to get better. Your redemption draws near. It's very important that we who are God's people present to the world a picture of confident assurance in our Christ. That will impress them. That will make them want to know, you know what we have that they don't have enabling us to face these pressures and these crisis situations with calmness and with confidence in these last days. That's the plan of God for us. When we look on the situation of the world, we compare it with Bible prophecy, we have to remember that our attitude should be the glass is half full. In other words, so much of what God has predicted in the Bible has already come to pass that it gives us a firm assurance that the rest of these things are going to come to pass. So we're not half empty, we're half full. Jesus is coming soon. Our King, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Mighty Warrior, He's coming soon. And He's going to reclaim this earth. He's going to, he's going to take us to be with Him forever. We're going to rule and reign with Christ upon the earth. All of the events and all of the trends confirm the reliability of the Bible. If they don't happen, we would have to say that the Bible would be an unreliable book. But because <coughs> excuse me, because they are happening, though there are many evils and forces against us above all else, they confirm that the Bible is true. The Bible is reliable. The Bible is an up-to-date and relevant book. It has a message that is relevant today. And that is very important. So the first response that you and I can have and must have towards the pressures and the crises that are confronting us at the end of the age is optimism. The second response that we must have is commitment. Summed up in one word, commitment. Total, unreserved commitment to God. Look at what it says in Psalm 110, verse 3. It says, Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. <laughs> God wants us to be a bunch of willing troops, ready to march and move forward. <clears throat> Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. In other words, <clears throat> God is going to refresh us God is going to refresh His church in the day of battle. And there may be many days of battle, and we're going to be refreshed by the Lord many times. We need to be committed totally to walk with Him. This is not the time to soften your stand on the issues. This is not the time to go hide somewhere. And this is not the time, even though we need to use wisdom, this is not the time to get silent. You follow me? <clears throat> we, we face the end times with optimism, and we face the end times 
with commitment. The Bible is very realistic, folks. The close of the age is going to be a day of battle. Get it in your mind right now. You're in the war. Say, I don't want to be in the war. Well, you're in the war. Hallelujah. It's not going to be a day of peace. Read your Bible. The end time is not going to be a day of peace. It's a day of war. <clears throat> and God has troops. God's people are His army. In many places in Scripture it says that. Particularly in Ephesians chapter 6 where He tells us to put on the whole armor of God. Hallelujah. says here when the psalmist in Psalm 110 says to the Lord your troops will be willing on your day of battle that translation doesn't really carry the full force of the Hebrew the Hebrew actually says your troops will be free will offerings so we have an image here from the original Hebrew of God's people offering themselves to Him without reservation. Putting themselves totally at His disposal with nothing held back. That's the type of church that we need to be in these last days. We, we often hear, hear it said that God wants our time, God wants our talents, God wants our money. That's not necessarily true. If we give those things to God and think we're doing God a favor, we deceive ourselves. What God is really saying to us is, what I want is you. I want everything you have, is what God's saying. He's saying, it all belongs to me. I blessed you with it. Now I want it back. Not that we can't, you know, get, 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 glean the benefit from it, but it all belongs to Him, and we're supposed to offer to Him without reservation. In these closing days, God is not going to settle. Let me, let me bear down on that. In these closing days of human history, God is not going to settle for a lesser commitment. We need to ask ourselves, have I ever totally given myself to God without reservation? Have I placed myself at his disposal. Now that's commitment and that's the appropriate reaction. Okay? So we see these great things. There is an alternative version uh, for the second part of that verse that we're going to talk about at another time. But the third response that we need to have, the third, first of all is optimism, secondly is commitment, and the third one is <clears throat> we need to come into alignment with God's purposes in the earth right now. I started saying a little while ago that one of my favorite things to do is study behind the Puritan authors and, and some authors that weren't necessarily Puritans but very old, lived in another time, hundreds of years ago. I love to read what they said. I love to read the depth of their spiritual work for the Lord. And it oftentimes convicts me that I'm missing it in some ways and I need to push in closer to Christ and let the Lord teach me what I need to, to be doing and the way I need to be thinking, etc. and so forth. And I also said 
that just as there was a glory of God in the earth then for them, there is one here today for us also. And it's so important that we line ourselves up and, and come into alignment with God's purpose in the earth right now, in the year 2013. Listen, we're not in 1942 anymore, in case you haven't noticed that. This isn't 1942, this isn't 1937, this isn't 1981. This is 2013, and God has a purpose for the people who are on the planet right now. And we need to come into alignment with those purposes. We need to be a voice for righteousness, a voice for Jesus Christ. But we need to be more than a voice. We need to be a functioning army of God on the, on the earth. And we need to be a force that as God moves us forward, I'm not talking about you and I and it's running off. I'm talking about God moving us forward. His purposes will be accomplished. Always remember this. <coughs> it's hard not to clear my throat so much today because of the allergies and the and this the sinus is really bad here right now. But that's not what I want you to remember. Always remember this. When we let God move us forward, God has obligated himself by his word to accomplish his purpose. If we run off on our own, then there is no obligation on the part of God to back us up. Sometimes he does just because he, you know, how many of you, you've had, you know, your kid go out and start doing something, you told him not to do it. <clears throat> but you see their heart was in the right place in a way, so you say, well, you know, I'll kind of get them out of this. I'll kind of back them up a little bit on it. Try to teach them the lesson in the meantime. So sometimes God's that way, but oftentimes God will let us learn from making mistakes. But when He moves us forward, and that's why aligning with His purposes are paramount in the last days. And that's related very closely to optimism and commitment. The world is passing away, and the lust of it but he who does the will of God abides forever. 1 John 2, 17. This world is temporary. Everything in it, ladies and gentlemen, is past, passing away. Everything on planet Earth is passing away, including our physical bodies. That will one day be recreated. Uh, we, we will be translated, actually, we will be translated and given a glorified body. But everything on this earth one day won't exist. Except the one who is set to do the will of God. Nothing can overthrow him. Hallelujah. Nothing can overcome him. God says, I'll make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is going to come. God said, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. You can look at Isaiah 46.10. And as we close our Bible class today, I want to make this statement. <clears throat> when you and I align ourselves with God's purposes, we are aligning ourselves with something 
that is irresistible. Two kinds of kingdoms are described to us in the book of Hebrews, the shakable and the unshakable. Let's read as we close Hebrews 12. And I'll read it from the NIV, verses 25 through 29. Hebrews 12, 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Neighbor, the neighbors of this world are shakable, and they're being shaken, and they're going to go on being shaken more and more and more and more as we progress through the end times. There will be no stability, no ultimate security in any kingdom or system of this world. The unshakable kingdom is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It cannot be shaken. And because that's true, we are to be thankful and we're to worship God acceptably, the Bible says, with reverence and awe because God, our God, is a consuming fire. It would be foolish to give ourselves to a kingdom that's going to be ultimately overthrown when we have the option to give ourselves to the kingdom that will triumph over all opposing forces. That's the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I would enlist, if I were you today and you're under the sound of my voice, you've come here to study this Bible class with us, or you listen to it over radio, or you get it on CD or whatever, I would advise you to list, to, to enlist today into the unshakable kingdom the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ that cannot be shaken. I would advise us all to take inventory of our hearts and lives today and ask how we can give all of ourselves, give more of ourselves, yes, but give all of ourselves to the Master's use in the hour in which we live. And ask Him to purge us from those things in our lives that are keeping us from a closer walk with Jesus today. That would be my prayer for you as we leave this study today. Is that you and I together in the body of Christ would become more pliable in His hands and that we could touch more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ in these last days. I hope you had a good time in this study and we're going to pick it up here again next week. Amen?